0: Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Hey everybody. Which day of Christmas is it? Does anyone know? I don't know. In Europe, they have those chocolate, those boxes of chocolate. Those are so awesome. It's always the super sweet chocolate, though, and it's the milk, you know, and then I'm like, ah, gosh, it's so sweet, and then anyway, good idea, bad idea. That's what I call that. Anyway, uh, So we're going through Advent, which is a trip because the Advent lectionary is the same lectionary is being preached all over the world today, which is incredible, except for that we're teaching out of order. So we are the only church in the world (laughs) that's teaching the lectionary on the wrong day. And that's just, that's the way it is today. So it's just kind of how we roll. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I also wanted to say, not really as a disclaimer, but more so as a matter of fact, to the point, what we're doing. Us sharing this message with you today, and I say us because it's crafted as a team. Us coming to worship together today, us being here, these are all part of the point. But the point today is that we, each of us would hear uh, from the Spirit of God and what he's saying to us. So I just, I don't know, I just feel like giving a, some encouragement if there are things that are like, man, this is tough, like that bass player plays the wrong notes all the time or whatever, um, just to not let what's happening become the main point of what we're doing, but to actually open our ears to what God is saying to us. And that might be he's saying something to Kyle and he's saying something else to Josh. So God, we just ask that you would open our ears and that we would hear not with our ears, but we would hear by your spirit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So let's go to the text. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. It says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who warned you? to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked them, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? He said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. And be satisfied with your wages. And the people, and as the people were filled with expectation, they were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. And John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. We know this character, John the Baptist. We've seen him over and over. We see him in all the Gospels. He's got a lot to say, but generally what he's saying is consistent, repent. He's out in the wilderness. He's out outside of the system. There's the whole system of how things work in Israel, which is the high priest and the council and the Sanhedrin and the scribes and the Pharisees. And this guy's just out in basically out in Palm Springs. So if you just drive out as far as you can go till you run out of gas, till you keep walking in the desert, till your canteen runs out of water, There's a tree, and there's a guy sitting under it, and he's saying, repent. And I think it's really easy to associate John with this interpretation of his preaching where he is angry, and he is telling people to repent, and he is proclaiming this from a place of righteousness. And maybe he is, but fundamentally today, I think... I experienced John giving his warning to repent from a place of true compassion. And we look at the Advent Lectionary, and we see that God is for us. And we see John delivering this message of destruction and wrath and saying, if you're not bearing fruit, the axe is already at the tree. But he asked the question, you know, who, who sent you? How do you know to come and repent? And I actually think he's, I think he's happy. He's happy that people are coming to repent. He is potentially telling people, this is, this is a huge deal. You're in the right place. You need to repent. And I don't think John wants to see these people destroyed. And that might sound strange, but if in the system of the law and the Pharisees, everything is happening, for a reason, and it's about judgment, and it's about sacrifice, and it's about obeying the rules. John is the person, I believe, in this text that represents the spirit of God, and he's outside of the system. And the system's been corrupted. But God's spirit is in John, and he wants the people to repent. He doesn't want their destruction to happen. But he does want them to bear fruit. And he does tell them that their heritage doesn't matter. These were people who claimed that they had heritage an ancestry in Abraham and Abraham was before the law was given. He was the guy that God made a promise to. And he said, if you make this covenant with me, I will take your descendants and I will populate the entire earth beyond the number of stars. You can count in the heaven beyond the number of grains of sand. You can count on the seashore. I am going to change the entire world through the ancestry of Abraham. And, uh, Interestingly, that covenant was all on the side of God. God did all the work in that covenant. I think Linnea explained that to us a little while ago. And John is basically saying this thing, this ancestry, this human ancestry that you're hanging on to is not the point of what God did with Abraham. The point of what God did with Abraham was about God's faithfulness and about what God was doing. So God was at work in Abraham. He was at work in Abraham, and because he was at work, God was faithful in the work, and that is what the promise of God is. And I also think that John is saying, look, you didn't choose to be born into this. He he calls them brood of vipers, and a brood of vipers basically means like the children of vipers or the children of snakes, and that's super powerful. If you're a Hebrew, you're thinking snake, serpent, garden of Eden, like it's not a positive word like the serpent that's but at the same time if you're the child of a serpent you don't have any choice who you're born to you just you're born where you're born you're doing what you're doing but he's offering hope and repentance and they're convinced they want to know what they need to do he has their attention they're i think that they're convicted and i'm i'm I don't know this for a fact. It doesn't say it in the text. I'm assuming that they've repented and they've been baptized because they, John was in the desert proclaiming a baptism of repentance. The people went out to the river. They were baptized and they've repented. And now they've basically had a cathartic moment where they've realized their the fact that even though they think they have this ancestry with God, that they're alienated from him and that they need to come back to him. And now he's asking them, what do we do? And uh, it's, John lays it out for them. It's pretty interesting. He doesn't say, you need to go to the temple and you need to do sacrifices and you need to do your rosary or you need to, you know, sing in the worship band or, I mean, that's, uh, sorry, that's really awful, like a illusion, but I'm trying to think about things that people tell us we should do in life in order, like, now that we're on track with God, you need to pray more, you need to do this more, you need to worship God, you need to send the CDs in your car, you know, whatever. Um, Check out Spotify. uh, (laughs) But it's really interesting. He says, what you need to do is care for the needy. What you need to do is practice truth and justice. He says, if you have a coat and you have it, you have to give one to someone who doesn't have anything. If you have extra food, share it. If your job is to collect money from people, don't cheat them. If you are a soldier, be content with what you're given and don't use your authority to extort money or harm people. And I think generally, I mean, we can all relate to probably almost all of us in here. And not all of us. But there are those of us in here who have two coats, and we actually think that we should go get two more. It's kind of just how we are. It's just kind of what we get every day when we're driving down the, you know, driving down Sunset Boulevard or wherever you live, stuck in traffic on the 405 looking at the billboard of the new watch, just going by like this. I need it. (laughs) If two watches, give one away. If you have more than what you need, share it. This is the fruit of repentance. It's not unlike in Isaiah, when God says, hey, you guys, you're trying to show you're repenting, for one day, you sit around, you wear sackcloth, you sit in ashes, you shave your head, you do it one day a year, and then the next day, you tear down the house of your poor neighbor and you build another part of your house on top of where his house was. And what's interesting is the whole time, God's spirit is working, and John is finally bringing it back to the front. There are people who have to collect money, they have jobs, I have a business, okay? This to me says, I cannot rake my clients over the coals. If a job is going to cost $5,000 and I tell them, you know, this job is actually going to cost $50,000 and they say, okay, because they have it, that's wrong, I'm cheating. I'm in a position to know what is right and what is wrong and I'm in a position to, to uh, earn more based on what they've, you know, based on what they know and what they don't, what I know and what they don't. And I'm not supposed to do that. And there are people who are stuck. The soldier is an interesting one to me. One Gentile, probably, which is interesting, right? So you've got all these people who are the chosen people of Israel. Then you've got these people who are actually garrisoned in this area. Most of them, I mean, I don't know what the makeup of the Roman legion was, but my guess is some of them were some bad men and that they joined the legion to escape whatever their life was. And they couldn't run away. If they did, they would be um, you know, severely disciplined or maybe killed or maybe just crucified with everyone else that gets crucified for being a deserter. They're stuck. They can't get out of being a soldier. They've made some choices that have put them in a tight spot where there's not much they can do to change their situation. And somehow in this, God's spirit is telling them to be content. To be content with what they have and to not hurt anyone to get more. And I, I mean, I don't know if this is it, but something just kind of struck me right now. Soldier could be kind of a victim in this situation. He's like, Yeah, I was in, I was in like, you know, a gladiator, you know, like I was in Spain. I had horses. It was great. I was a great general. Now I'm a slave. I can't do anything about my situation. God basically said, Okay, I understand you're stuck. You've made some choices. This is where you are. It doesn't give you license to do whatever you want. You don't just get to go and use your power or use your influence or your situation to manipulate other people and that's I think that's that's what we don't think about. We think if we have great wealth, like oh yeah, like that's manipulative, but being in a place where we're trapped could also be manipulative so the crowds. We're totally blown away by what John had to say. Presumably he doesn't say that, but he lays down some super heavy stuff. And they're thinking to themselves, is this guy the Messiah? And we know the Messiah was the guy who was going to come, or I guess guess it was a guy, was going to come from God. He was the promised one who would come and save the Jews and make everything right that wasn't right. He will put everything back to the way God intended it to be, back to the golden age of Israel where everyone, every man had his own vine, his own vineyard, and his own house, and his own cow, and everyone had what they needed. The Messiah was going to bring it back. And also, at some level, the Messiah would fulfill this Abrahamic promise that the whole earth would be populated with the people of God. And John basically he doesn't know what they're thinking. I don't know, maybe he does. It's interesting. Jesus a lot of time knew what people were thinking. You know, they would say, Is he this? Is he that? And he's like, I know you are thinking, am I this or am I that? And then of course, you know, it was probably like a little bit of a drop the mic moment. (laughs) I just think like he just he he would just say, before Abraham was, I am, and just drop the mic and walk away. And and they didn't know what to do. I mean, they. But anyway, if if the Holy Spirit is the one engaging with the Christ, if the, his baptism is from the Holy Spirit, and he's able to say things that people are thinking, I think John. I mean, maybe he experienced a similar thing in this situation. It suggests that, because they don't ask John, it says they're talking among themselves. And he says, "No, in fact, I'm not even worthy to." be the lowest servant that would interact with the Messiah. He says, I wouldn't be able to untie his shoes, which is a reference to the household servant who, when the person would come into the house, would take off the shoes and wipe all, pardon me, wipe all the shit off of someone's feet. And John says, I'm not even at that level. I'm just, but I will tell you about who he is, He will be a. He will be someone who will come to transform. He will come to transform us. The people are expecting the Messiah. John tells them to care for the needy, practice truth, practice justice, and when the Messiah comes, expect to be transformed. Expect some pretty, again, powerful imagery. Baptism by fire. He said, I baptize you with water. He's going to bring fire. And I see it as transformational. I see it as refining. And there's this picture that Somehow, in our transformation, the work of the Christ is done. And maybe not completed, but the work of the Christ is present in our transformation. So it's not just somebody coming back, and we will passively watch and say, look at this guy. He can jump across that building and land, and then he can save that girl, and then he can go down here and pay someone's taxes, and you know. It's not a Superman moment. It's not a moment where we're passively saying, okay, now the Messiah is here and we're just going to receive benefit of it. But it's actually we're going to be transformed and we're going to partner with him. And, and John's illustration about gathering the wheat and threshing it and then separating the wheat from the chaff, which is the stuff around the wheat that kind of protects it, all that stuff will get burned away and only the wheat will remain and it'll get gathered into the barn. And these, these are the things in our lives that need to go. These are the things in our lives that aren't going to hold up. In um, First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about building a foundation with gold, silver, and precious gems versus building a foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. And he said, if you build a house with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be cheaper. But when the fire comes, nothing will be left but if you use gold, silver, and precious gems, they will withstand the refining process. Our opportunity to care for the needy, to practice truth, to practice justice, And to participate with the Messiah in his coming is good news. It's way better than being part of a special club where because of who your mom and your dad are, you can get in. And personally, I think that's awesome because I hate those clubs. I hate places that you can't go because you don't have the right last name. Or, right? Or the right kind of car, or the right color skin, or speak the right language. And that's why it's good news to everyone. What the Messiah is bringing and doing is good news to everyone, it's for all people. And that is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. That through this one person, God will bring about a transformation and an inclusion of everyone into what he's doing. And those scriptures that we read about, like in Zephaniah, like, I'm going to bring you in, and we're going to celebrate. This is what it's about. And I think we have to hold that in the tension of what John had to say. If you're, not bearing, if you're not repenting, and you're not bearing fruit, and you're not participating with the Messiah to let him clean out what's happening in your life, then you're missing it. You're missing the point. And again, this isn't about behavior change. This isn't about sin management. This isn't about coming to church more. This isn't about me, you know, asking Terrell to come and volunteer all the time. Because in volunteering clearly, that's where her salvation is. It's about this transformation. And That comes by a lot of things, but uh, some of the things that come come by for sure is repenting, spending time in worship with God, and receiving the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit to remove the stuff from your life that needs to go. And there's stuff in our lives that we can't get rid of. I mean, if we are the wheat, uh, I don't know, see, I don't know if the wheat is a I don't know what that metaphor is about. Again, I think it's about stuff being removed from our lives, but we're there and we're present, but there's not a lot we can do about it. We have to invite God to come and do the transformative work. And yes, we participate with it, with him in the work, but it's initiated by him and it's completed by him. So... I would I would like to um I'd like to make some space for prayer today. I think John the Baptist did he set up the ministry time preparation schedule for us which is repent. And I'm not a Calvinist so I don't think everything is Totally like screwed up in the world, but he does tell the people that think that they are the children of God that they are in fact the offspring of serpents. And I just say that because there might be something in my heart that says I'm good. I don't need to repent. Like I'm like I was four. I said the sinner's prayer. Like I'm good. Like summer camp, Lake Chautauqua. Like, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine, you know? And the truth is, there's nothing about our past lives. I mean, there are are moments, our past lives, I don't mean that we have past lives. I mean, each of our lives in our pasts. Uh, There's nothing that happened that, like, makes it okay for us to just stay where we are right now. You can't look back at a time in your life when everything was super good with God and go, that's cool, I did that. Check it off, bucket list. Now I can just rage, whatever that means. I'm not talking about necessarily about partying, but just doing whatever you want. You don't get to bank on that. And that's exactly what John was saying. You don't get to bank on this thing that happened. You have to repent. And you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And that might sound super crazy. Um, But the Holy Spirit is what's going to enable you to actually be transformed. Or God will transform you with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit, Christ in you. What's that? Yeah, it's the hope of glory. Harry said the catalyzing hope of glory. So let's make some space. I don't want to talk anymore. Let's make some space to repent, to come up to the front, to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if there's anybody that wants to receive the Holy Spirit. If you do, we'll lay hands on you. Uh, I don't know what will happen, but we will pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And the third part is, if you're like, look, I repented yesterday, and I'm serious, and I'm willing to repent again today, and I know I have the Holy Spirit, then the question for you is not unlike the question before the communion table, which is, we don't have a communion table, but if we did, it would be right here. Are you willing to examine so, your heart and see what's okay. still there. So we're going to do that. Harry's going to ask God Harry's to share something with us. To remove it. Then, ask God to um, work it out with you. And for some Harry of us, that shares, might just be a just moment, and, a and it happens. For some people, it might take a minute. I mean, I it mean could take a couple years to do the work.